Because the text that we were given for this day is, is uh, Isaiah 49, and that is the second ser- servant song. What a blessing it is that we're able to hear this. But it's hard to hear some of the words in that text if you paid attention to it. Because it describes someone who is actually depressed. Someone who is hurting. Now, many of us, I think, one time or another, can admit that we've been a little depressed. Some of us, maybe it's being in deep depression. Maybe we were down in the dumps. Maybe even we'd admit that we were fully discouraged. That life actually had become a real chore. Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand how many of you have actually been there. You find yourself sleeping all the time, not wanting to get out of bed, maybe unable to get up altogether. You have no appetite to eat any food, and even the simplest jobs that used to be easy seem to be overwhelming. Friends and family, they, they tend to worry about you, and every sort of person around you tends to tiptoe around you, afraid that anything they say might set you off. Perhaps you've been there. I know I have. I've been discouraged. I've been depressed. I've been to the point where I know my family has tiptoed around me wondering if, if they should actually say anything to me or maybe it would set me off. Many good people have been in that situation. In fact, a young lawyer descended into this valley of despair during his life. Things were going so poor for him that he actually had friends that thought it was best to keep anything sharp away from him. That's how bad it was for this young lawyer. In fact, during this time, he wrote this in his memoirs, that I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall be, ever be better, I cannot tell. I fear I shall not. I mean, this person was so far gone that thought there was no future for him. The name of that young lawyer was Abraham Lincoln. Desperate and utterly hopeless, that's where he was, and it might surprise you. I mean, this was a man that thought his future had no hope, but yet we know how his future turned out. See, in our text today, in the second servant song from Isaiah, our text gives us a great cry of discouragement from a prophet, the prophet named Isaiah. Listen to these words of what he says. He says, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. I mean, those are pretty strong words, aren't they? I mean, why does Isaiah talk this way? Why is he so depressed? Why is he so discouraged? I mean, Isaiah, he actually witnessed the the Assyrian captivity of Israel. He was preaching and prophesied the warning to Judah and Jerusalem at the same time of what would happen unless they actually repented. And yet, despite all of his preaching... The moral and religious climate of Judah and Jerusalem continued to go downhill and slide down here faster and faster. In spite of all of the warnings that he gave, Isaiah sees his people on a slippery slope to death and destruction, punishment and exile. Like Elijah, he believes that the only one left 
is him who serves the Lord. To Isaiah, at least, it seems that his ministry is in vain. It bears no fruit. That he has no purpose beyond, well, maybe one listener or two. The real identity of the servant, though, in this song is the Lord Jesus Christ, not Isaiah. So the passage in front of us is not so much about Isaiah, although it is about him as well, but it really is about Jesus, the true servant of God. It is from the mouth of Jesus that we hear these words, these words that we hear from Isaiah chapter, four, chapter 49, verse 4, that I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Now you may be sitting here saying, how would Jesus ever say anything like that? Well, Jesus is a servant of God, and he does sound discouraged. Why would Jesus, the eternal, glorious Son of God, talk this way? He talks this way in the state of his humiliation. Don't forget that Jesus was man, just like you and I. He was, had weakness and temptations just like us, yet he was totally without sin because he never fell to those temptations. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see, for instance, that he is there and he is struggling with the will of God. And he suffered deep, deep anguish and grief and trembling and fear at that moment. He complained more than once about the animals and the birds, that unlike him, they had a place to lay their head, and he did not. He complained as well that he was rejected and despised by just about every leader of the people. And even by his own family, he says, they rejected him. And consider his friends that he hung out with. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. And the rest of the folk, well, what did they do? They fled for their lives when it got tough. As for the crowds, they preferred the murderer Barabbas over him. And don't forget that Jesus ended his life, right? And how was his life ended? On the cross. Cursed, forsaken, not just by man, but also by God. See, Isaiah's second servant song then points forward. Forward to the utter humiliation of our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just upon the cross, but also earlier. I mean, it's little wonder that the servant makes this statement in our text, that I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain for and for nothing. See, as a servant of the Lord struggles with discouragement, he reminds himself that he has been called and chosen by God. Isaiah says this. He says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. For my birth, he has made mention of my name. The Lord formed me in the womb. Isaiah is first of all speaking of himself. He reminds himself that it is no accident that he is where he is. That God has called him into being. That God has given him his form. That God also has put him in this place from birth to where he needs to be today. And that God has known that this would be the plan from the beginning. God's plan is no ad hoc thing that just happens. 
It's not done on spur of the moment. God's plan is not something that is new or constantly changing. Like God himself, God's plan is eternal. And knowing this, Isaiah realizes the true meaning and purpose of his life. As I mentioned before, this passage is is about Jesus, the servant of the Lord, and it's more about him than it is about Isaiah. So listen to these words again with Jesus in mind. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has mentioned my name. The Lord formed me in the womb. We all know that Jesus was called. We, we are know, know that, by, that by, he was with God from the beginning, and he was God from the beginning. It is Jesus who was formed in Mary's womb, and it is Jesus whom God has eternal plans for as well. And in the midst of this disappointment and in this discouragement, the servant is reminded that there is meaning and purpose to his life and to his ministry. And today, I think that's something we as a church need to hear. See, there is also a second thing that God's servant has to keep in mind as they struggle with discouragement and despair. That they are the instrument of God's hands. See, Isaiah says this as well in in verse number 2. He says, He has made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. I mean, those are strong words, aren't they? It may be that the man Isaiah who is doing the preaching and teaching and warning, but he does so as the instrument of God. From his mouth, people hear the voice of God himself, not just Isaiah. He functions as God's representative, God's ambassador to the world. And therefore, when people reject him, it's just as if rejecting God himself. Isaiah doesn't worry about being successful or, or failing at all. All that the Lord asks of him is to be faithful. Faithful in the work that he has called him to do. And that's what he calls us to as well. Sometimes that's hard, though. Sometimes that's very hard to do. And I came across a poem this week that I thought sort of was good for us to sort of read and understand that we are meant to keep going. Keep going no matter what. People may be unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyways. Honestly and frankly, make, frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyways. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. The biggest people with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest people with the smallest ideas. Think big anyways. People favor underdogs but follow only top dogs. Fight for some underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may destroy overnight. Build anyways. And give the world the best you have and you'll be kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyways. 
See, I think that no matter how discouraged we get, no matter how much we feel we may be in despair, no matter how the future may look, we keep going. That's what God calls Isaiah to. That's what God calls us to as well. Isaiah is to continue in his ministry because as God's servant, he is doing the Lord's work. He is the Lord's instrument. As long as he does the work, it makes no difference what man thinks of him. And that's the attitude he's taking. As an instrument of God's hand, Isaiah has the most wonderful and greatest job on earth. To be the light of glory for Israel and the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It is his job to proclaim the gospel, which is the one thing that God has given him to do. So that God may be praised and honored and glorified in this world. It's interesting that that is Isaiah's job. And as an instrument in the hands of God's success and failure is up to God. It's not up to Isaiah. Yet what is due to me and the Lord, he says, is my, and my reward is with God. Knowing this, I, Isaiah can give it all over to God. There's no need to be discouraged. There's no need at all to have despair. When Isaiah realizes that his ministry is totally in the hands of God, he can sit back and just do what he's called to do and let God take care of everything else. Again, as I said, this passage is about Jesus more than it is Isaiah, though. It is he, Jesus, who is God's chosen instrument. It is he who is the light of glory for Israel and the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It is he who is the stumbling block for the Jews and the foolishness to the Gentiles. But those who he has called, he is both the power and the wisdom of God. It is he who is despised and dishonored by the nations. It is he who fulfills the promises of, of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to them the blessing of all the earth. It is in the midst of his disappointment and discouragement that he also reminds that he must do what God has called him to do. Redeem the lost. Save the sinner. Rescue the fallen. Restore the tribes of Jacob. Be the light to the Gentiles and bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. There is one big difference between Isaiah and Jesus, however. Jesus succeeds in his mission while Isaiah, like Israel, fails. Go to the book of Acts and just look at what happens there. Look at what you see in the book of Acts. You see the work of Jesus to the redeemed and lost, to save sinners, rescue the fallen, and he does this through the church. The light of Christ is brought to Jerusalem, then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now it's important as you hear this that you notice how I put that. What did I say? Jesus does this work through the church. Say that with me. He does this work through the church. In other words, we are part of Jesus' mission. And Paul puts it this way. He says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now notice, 
it says that this is what the Lord commands us. Us, a collective us together, the church. We are God's ambassadors and God's appeal to the world through us. We can have programs and committees and all kinds of mission emphasis, but when it comes down to it, God's people must proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ on the cross and risen from the grave, the one who was the, the baby in the manger. We have to proclaim that outside these walls and to people that we meet everywhere in this community. That is our job, and that is the work that God has given the church. See, the great news is that Jesus, though, as the one who, yes, felt rejected, the one who had despair, was the one who completed his job for you and me. He went to the cross and died there so we could have forgiveness. He rose again so that we could have eternal life. And knowing that, that changes everything for us. Because we are now freed to not worry about success, to not worry about failure, to not worry about anything at all, because it has already been accomplished for you and I. It's not about the things that we do. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And as a result, what do we do now? We go out and fulfill the work that he has called us to do. To share the love of God and the love of Jesus throughout this community and this world. See, that's what it is all about. Jesus, the suffering servant who came and gave his life for you and me so that we could be free free from the bondage of sin and the grave, free from the struggles of this life, knowing that eternal life is ours and that the goal we have is our eternal life with Jesus. And so therefore, whatever we face in this life, we can do so as a family of God together, knowing that our future is secure. So my prayer today, my prayer today is that we would understand that no matter what we are going through as a church, no matter what we see happening in this community, no matter how bleak it may look because of what we see happening around us in our world, that we would have confidence that God's plan is being played out and that each one of us has been called here to be his instrument, to be used in this community to bring glory to him and to share the love and the grace of Jesus Christ each and every day. May each one of us hear that call. May each one of us be filled with the Spirit that enables us to go from this place and to share the love of Christ with those all around us. It is in his name and to his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, we have a blessing today as we talk about this church and this congregation being the work of God. We have the blessing today to actually be able to install the officers of our congregation for this year, 2020. So at this time, I invite our elders and our EMB board, our executive management board, to come forward as uh, I install them for this year. So can we just say thank you to these men who have decided to fill these roles for us? Now, um, first,